The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to the Miracle of Healing, where we come together every week to discuss and discover a roadmap to healing. I'm your host, Lisa Campion, and I hope you can join us since the world needs all the healing it can get. And we are healing the planet one person at a time right here on Mind, Body, Spirit FM. Hey there, I'm Lisa Campion, and this is the Miracle of Healing. We come together every week just to talk about all kinds of cool spiritual stuff, healing arts, and just have beautiful conversations with our amazing guests. So if you're new to the show, I'm so glad you're here. And if you are returning, I'm so glad you came back. Yay. Today, we are talking with Joanne DiMaggio. She normally talks and writes and is an expert on all things reincarnation. And she's done some incredible work in that topic over the years. And she's kind of taken a little bit of a a jaunt down a different road, but that's still also connected. And we're here to talk about her book called Inner Light, How the Beatles Planted Spiritual Seeds in Our Soul. So Joanne was the president of a Beatles fan club and really had like a front row seat to this cultural shift of Beatlemania and how we're going to talk today. And the book is about how the Beatles and Beatlemania came at a time during our social and cultural awakening that really shifted our spirituality in some very powerful and fundamental ways that are still present and maybe even more relevant today than they were when it happened. So yeah, her book is a very personal um, reflection on her traditional upbringing as an Italian-American Catholic growing up in um, just outside of Chicago and how she came to embrace these esoteric philosophies that were sparked by the Beatles' own spiritual journeys. So welcome to the show, Joanne. Lisa, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's amazing. So tell me a little bit about how you made this kind of this left turn from your conversation around um, reincarnation and your and your work really as an expert in that field and um, for many, 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 many years to now we're talking about the Beatles and their spiritual journey. How, how did that happen? Well, I'm the kind of person who always asks the question, why? You know, why is this happening? Why is it the way that it is? And what's really always plagued me is like, I thought, what was it about my childhood, perhaps? What happened during those formative years that led me to um, go from being a, a Beatles fan to being a past life researcher, because nothing in my youth um, would indicate that that's where I would go. So I, I wondered, did something happen to influence me when I didn't know I was being influenced? Was there some mm-hmm. sort of a um, subliminal message that I was getting that sort of planted the seeds in me that didn't bloom until 20, 30 years later? And then I thought if it happened to me, 
then maybe it happened to other Beatle fans as well. So how did I go from living on the south side of Chicago in this very blue collar neighborhood, uh, growing up Catholic, I went to 12 years of Catholic school, um, and you you didn't say the word reincarnation, obviously, that wasn't, it wasn't planted then. So I, I thought to myself, well, what happened during those years? And I thought, ah, the Beatles. I was president of a Beatles fan club from 1964 to 1972. And in the course of those years, a lot of things happened. And I, I know I was heavily influenced by uh, the Beatles music and their cultural shift and their trip to India and everything that happened that was jam-packed into those years. And uh, so I really wanted to explore further whether that really was something that influenced my later decision to follow a more esoteric career. Hmm. So, so interesting. And as I was, uh, you know, looking through your book, I, I was really, I don't know, like really noticing how the Beatles shift really reflected our shift too, as a culture. Right. So, you know, they started, started out as kind of a typical, I, I hate to say, boy band but you know like kind of like they're happy music that they're cheerful like love music that they started out and then they went through that's how we got to know them um then they went through a massive shift that was very in line with what was happening in the 60s and Mm -hmm. you know this kind of psychedelic revolution and spiritual revolution and their music shifted with that Right. Exactly. I mean, I think that we were ripe for uh, for for this shift to happen. You know, we were coming out of you remember uh, President Kennedy was assassinated in November of 1963. And a few months later, in February of 64, here come the Beatles. And I think, uh, you know, our generation was in shock. Uh, that that we had lost uh, President Kennedy that way. And I think we were really looking for something and we were depressed. And um, and so along come the Beatles and it's like, oh, we can really kind of get into this. It just brought so much joy uh, to us. I mean, it was a lot of things were happening on all kinds of levels because we were, you know, we were teenagers, we were coming into our own. Uh, there was a lot going on in the world. And as the 60s progressed, obviously, you know, we had, you know, so many landmark things that happened in terms of politics and cultural shifts and stuff like that. And, you know, we just kind of followed this, this line, they were, they were leading us, uh, opening our minds to possibilities of what we as individuals could accomplish. Or, you know, some of us were very repressed in our thinking in terms of our spiritual selves. Um, You know, I mean, for me, 12 years of Catholic school, you can imagine. Um, And then, um, so they, you know, sort of gave us permission to think outside the box. And uh, it opened a whole world, I think, for for, uh, my generation, at least I know for a fact. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I was born in 1964. So I kind of was on the you know, like I just grew up with the Beatles were already part of the, yeah. you know, the, the cultural background in such a solid way. They were already a thing, you know, and um, so I kind of grew up with that, that just playing on the radio, you know, all the time in the background. And yeah, it's such a fascinating thing. So tell us a little bit about what that was like for you, like being a, in the fan club. What's the difference between a fan and somebody who may be the president of a 
of a fan club. Like that seems like a big, a big deal. That's a lot of commitment to, to spend that much time. And obviously it was speaking so deeply to you, but what was that like? I, I wanted to do, I wanted to be more than a fan. I, I, first of all, I loved uh, writing uh, newsletters and I loved networking even before it was called networking. Um, And I, I really wanted, it, it was always been important to me, even now to bring like-minded people together. And so I thought, you know, I have, I have these organizational skills. I can write, I can do a newsletter. And um, so I started to, uh, I started a fan club in 1964 and we got members through, well, some of my friends joined obviously, but uh, at that time, some of the Beatle magazines or, or like, 16 or Tiger Beat or some of those, uh, Beatles Monthly and all, they had a list of pen pals you could have. So I would write to these people say, hey, I've got this fan club, would you like to join? And so um, I did a monthly newsletter. And at first it was like one newsletter at a time on my mother's Underwood typewriter, the old manual typewriters. Mm -hmm. If it fell on your foot, you'd break your foot. Yeah. Um, and so I was typing away one at a time. Then I tried carbon paper, if anybody remembers carbon paper. Uh, you know, so that kept evolving. Um, I didn't have, we didn't have a database. We didn't have, we obviously we didn't have the internet. So we didn't have access to any information other than what was in the newspapers or what the DJs on, like we had in Chicago, we had two radio stations basically that played Beatles music, WLS and WCFL. And so um, anyway, I just, you know, started to have meetings with people, members, and it evolved and evolved and evolved. And then um, there was a lot of um, angst, I think, among the members. It seemed to me like some of some of the members were getting more involved in in the Beatles personal lives. And so you had like groups that, well, that they didn't like Yoko or they didn't like Linda or they didn't like something John said. They didn't like, you know, something when they started to, to experiment with some drugs, they, everybody was upset about that, upset mm-hmm. about John's comment about Jesus, about being more popular than Jesus. So the club kept evolving. People would come in and come out. Uh, so I had to navigate that. I, and I really didn't have the skills to be so diplomatic, you know, I mean, I was a kid, I I was, I didn't know what, you know, how, how to, how to handle all these personalities and stuff, but I kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And uh, eventually the, um, the fan club in New York, which was under the auspices of Apple records decided that all the individual fan clubs across the country had to become chapters of the national club. And so that caused quite a stir because uh, a lot of the smaller fan clubs, the independent clubs across the country didn't want to join them. So I got in the middle of that. I I went and saw uh, one of the DJs, Jim Stagg over at WCFL. He wrote an article about me that appeared in the um, Chicago Sun-Times. And eventually um, all of us did have to join the, the national club. And then they made me national chapter director, which meant that all the clubs across the country had to report to me. So it was oh, a wow. story of evolution uh, of, uh, of going from my little Underwood typewriter, one, one newsletter at a time to, you know, seven, eight, seven years later when, um, you know, it, we were a lot more organized and uh, had a lot more to offer the fans that joined the club. 
That's so interesting. And do you feel like people needed the we we want those clubs and we still want them? I'm I mean I I know it's sort of a funny cor- uh, corollary, but I'm thinking sort of about the Taylor Swift phenomenon, you know, and how like Taylor Swift is sort of the modern day version that popularity of the beat the Beatles were then is Taylor Swift now. And I, so I'm watching my daughter go, you know, she's a total Swifty and, you know, all, and, and the impact that she's having in our world is sort of the similar, it's sort of a modern day, you know, equivalent to what the Beatles impact was back then. I'm not saying they still don't have an impact because of course they do, but um, it's just so interesting. So do you feel like we need to come together in fan groups for why, why does, why does, why do we want to do that? Well, I think that, um, you know, you don't feel alone. You don't feel isolated. You feel like there's somebody that you can talk to. You don't have to edit what you say. Uh, you can share your, your, your feelings, your, you know, your, your excitement, your hopes and your dreams. So I think that being with like-minded people is always uh, a plug because, you know, it's, it's the whole idea of community, um, mm-hmm. of reaching out, you know, why do you, uh, you know, you might go to a, a specific church because you feel like those are the people who, you know, talk your language or they have the same beliefs that you do and you feel comfortable there. And I think with Beatle fans, we felt that same way. The thing is that a lot of the Beatle fans aged out, you know, like I was 13, 14 years old when they first came out. Um, and I found that toward the end of my tenure running the fan clubs that we were getting a whole other generation coming up who weren't like us who, who, um, you know, I mean, they, they, they love the Beatles and they love their music, but for totally different reasons than we did. So that we, we sort of clung together uh, our particular generation, our, our age, the little bracket of, of us um, because we had that so much of that in common. And, um, you know, we shared our experiences. There were Beatle fans who were traveling to, to England. They were standing in front of the recording studio. They were standing in front of the Beatles homes. I had one friend of mine who had a fan club in New York. She went to, uh, Scotland and, and tracked down Paul at his, uh, his, uh, farm up there. Um, there were things people were doing that I would never do, uh, you know, but anyway, it was, it was a sense of belonging and, and, uh, a sense of friendship that, that held us together. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. If we bring this into the spiritual realm, Joanne, like what what was their shift? Like what happened to, to shift them into this more spiritual well, I journey? think that George really led the way. Um, when I was doing my research, I had kept all my newsletters, by the way, from 1964 up till 72 when the clubs ended. And um, I was searching in there, you know, to see uh, what the shift was. And I think the big shift that happened was when they went to India 
to study with the Maharishi uh, Mahashogi, yeah. to study transcendental meditation. And I think that they all tried it, but they didn't stick with it the way that George did. And so what I found to my absolute surprise, because I didn't know this, that George had just one quote after the other about different aspects of esoteric uh, philosophy. So he talked a lot about karma and reincarnation and soul groups. And John did as well. He talked, uh, John and Yoka were very much into astrology and numerology. So uh, a lot of that was going on and we really didn't know that much about it, but because they were doing it, because George was doing it and it was influencing his music and influencing the lyrics of their music that it started. That's what I think started to plant that seed. Some of the music uh, like tomorrow never knows. That's one of my favorites, you know, um, and there's hints about beliefs and reincarnation all through that. And I think a lot of us were looking for something deeper. We were spiritually starving. And this uh, new way of thinking was like a godsend to us. And so we started to to slowly get them. I mean, there are a lot of people who didn't like when the Beatles started to do the when they went to India where a lot of them were, a lot of us were like, what are you, what are you doing? Where are you going? Who is this person? And I didn't resonate to the music, to the sound of the music. I, it didn't, I, but the words, if you, you know, cause I'm a writer, I, I really focus on lyrics more than anything else. Um, really brought me deeper into my own spirituality. And so uh, I, I felt like uh, really I owed a debt to them for, for opening that door for me. Yeah, because they're so they were so popular and everyone was listening to them that it, I wonder if it kind of validated, you know, or, or made people curious about what their journey was, you know. I mean, my par- my parents are hippies and um so I was kind of in that thing and um they took me to transcendental meditation when I was 10 in 1972 because that's or 1974 which I think it was 1974 and I met Maharishi too. Oh, you did. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, actually he gave me a personal like personal like initiation when I was just a kiddo yeah it was quite amazing yeah yeah and he said he said some stuff to me actually through his translator he was looking at me and he was like blah 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 and then he really looked at me he was like and he was like oh my god because I was totally psychic and I was having all these psychic experiences and he was like he's like oh honey I'm so sorry um just paraphrasing what he said here he's like you've got a lot of gifts you're childhood's going to be difficult. And he said, if you had grown up in my country, we would know what to do with you. But because America's basically spiritually bankrupt, you're sort of shit out of luck. (laughs) And you're going to have a difficult time, but you need to hang in there because you're going to help a lot of people when you get older. And I remember even thinking, thank you for saying I had no idea who he was. You know, I was like 10 or whatever. And I, but I remember feeling like, wow, somebody really saw me. Oh. You know, and then he did the Deeksha and he gave me the mantra and everything, right? And it wasn't until I was in college and studying comparative religion that I was like, oh my God, that was Maharishi. Like, that I, like, the penny dropped and I figured out that that's what happened. It was quite remarkable, actually. Yeah, yeah. see, planting the seed. Right? right? Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I feel like they kind of opened this back door, the Beatles, right? That allowed people who are questing, you know, to find 
sort of a deeper meaning to things sort of to find a way. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, not all of them, like I said, I, I had a hard time finding any quotes like from Ringo about anything related to any of this. Mm. Well, George was really a mystic from like looking at this, Yeah, you know, when you kind of in your book, you really concentrated on some of the things he said, which I've never really paid attention to him in, a, in the way that, you know, um, the other ones kind of have stood out, but in reading what, what you were writing about, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's a mystic. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Someone said that uh, Paul was a closet metaphysician. Um, uh, he, he, there are some quotes from him that I used in the book, but I couldn't find that many of them. Um, the thing that really surprised me the most was I teach a method of writing called soul writing which is basically writing while you're in an altered state of consciousness. So it's like a a written meditation. And when I wrote my, that was my first book was on soul writing. And when I did the research for this book, uh, I was curious about um, Paul and John and the way that they downloaded the music that, that they produced and was pleasantly surprised to see that they were basically doing it the same way that you do the soul writing, you know, where, wow. you know, for John, it was across the universe and nowhere man. And for Paul, it was like, let it be. And, and yesterday, you know, where they say, yeah, the music came to me either while they were sleeping or, or meditating or, um, you know, it just came to them from like above, from another source. And they, they acknowledged that. And I thought, wow, they're doing soul writing. <laughs> they're doing something I've been teaching for a while. So that kind of gelled everything together for me even more so. Um, and uh, so I just found the whole thing. Every time I turned around, there was another clue. There was another piece of the puzzle, you know, that came together that said, well, we had, you know, yeah, that seed was planted by them in, into who I've become today and yeah. all that I'm doing in, in my in my career now. So cool. Such a beautiful story. And Joanne, how do you feel like this is relevant for like our children, our grandchildren, like the, you know, the, the people who are in, a, in in this more modern generation that didn't grow up hearing the Beatles on the radio, unless they're, unless they're listening to the oldie station, right? Um, what What is the relevance now? Well, you know, I'm surprised, Lisa, at the number of, of uh, young people that are discovering the Beatles now. Uh, and I know this because of the Facebook groups that are out there um, on the Beatles. And a lot of them sound the way we did when we were 14, 15 years old. It is absolutely amazing. So to me, there's been nothing since the Beatles that has that kind of a, of a hold on, on a Uh, on us. The music, the lyrics, nothing's come close. They don't have anything else. In a way, I feel sorry for the generations that came after uh, our generation because, you know, I just don't see it uh, that they, that they had anything that had quite the depth and the, um, you know, the, the meaningfulness that, that we, we had not just the Beatles. I mean, think about it, the Moody Blues, Paul Simon, we were listening to music then with lyrics that really had us thinking about life on a much more profound level than I think some of the music uh, does today. So I'm really thrilled that, that this uh, new generations continually find them. Now, whether the music and the lyrics would make, um, 
you know, some sort of a of an Im, uh, imprint on them the way it did our generation. I don't know. Certainly, the way the world is today, they would be ripe for it just the way we were in the '60s. But it's there, and it'll always be there. That's the beautiful part of it. It's not going to go away. It's not going to be taken away from us. It's there for the taking if you will take the time and explore it uh, in in greater depth. It's kind of a timeless exactly. catalog. Yeah. Wow. And uh, let's just to kind of close out the conversation here, let's loop this back into the conversation about reincarnation. So mm-hmm. in your, your other topic, they were talking about it, writing about it. Do you feel like they, they knew things about their reincarnation? Um, what, what, how does that part of the conversation tie in? You know, I, I, you know, I'll never know this, uh, uh, you know, but whether they actually ever had a regression, I would have loved to have <laughs> given them a, a past life regression. They came together um, through a soul contract. And I do think that they knew that, that mm-hmm. what were the odds that these four young men would find each other and then together, you know, create this groundbreaking um shift in in our consciousness and and in the music world so that the whole idea of that they were together in prior lifetimes that was something that i know that i know paul thought about it i know george thought about it uh and um john and yoko thought that they were the reincarnations of um the poets uh robert browning and elizabeth barrett browning uh so i know that they were thinking about about reincarnation um that seems sort of plausible to me actually i'm like well yeah i mean they really not actually could hold up you know a friend of my well one of my marketing people in california was were helping me work on my powerpoint on this book and she found a picture of robert browning and, and elizabeth barrett browning and she put the picture side by side of a picture of john yoko and she's look how they look alike and i'm like whoa, whoa. You know, that was kind of yeah spooky. yeah yeah so i mean and, and you know george talked a lot about karma uh, and he was very much into, you know, we're all responsible for what we do. And, uh, and John too, John said that, said that often as well. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot, I mean, that was certainly wasn't the focus of, you know, when they're doing interviews and things like that, that they would go on and on about that, but certainly it was there. And then, you know, Paul even said that, that he felt like, um, it, it was really humbling for him to know how much of an impact they had uh, on us, how we, our lives were changed for the better because of them. So they had a divine purpose. Right. I, I have a whole section in my book about, um, I was using from information from Eric Meyer's book on um, the spiritual dimension of the Beatles, where he really focuses in on the astrological aspect, which I'm not an expert on astrology, but it was fascinating because all these elements just played right into each other mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and created the, the, uh, the group and the movement that made such a difference in all of our lives. Hmm. That's so beautiful. Wow. So, Joanne, how can people get your book or find out more about your work? Well, uh, they're welcome to come to my website, which is joannedamaggio.com. It's J-O-A-N-N-E-D-I-M-A-G-G-I-O. I have a list of the different types of services that I offer, the regressions and the soul writing uh, sessions. If you'd like to book a session with me, you can do that right on my website. 
Oh, great. And we can find your many books on Amazon and exactly. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for um, being on the show and thank you. Like want to say thank you for taking a risk and writing this book. That's a little bit more out of your normal, you know, it's very personal. It's very autobiographical. It's very cu- culturally, I think rich, you know, it's like very juicy, this book. So, thank you so and I, I think it's hard to share at such a deep level. And I'm just so um, impressed that you did that. And thank you for that. Thanks, Lisa. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I get it. I feel you. (laughs) All right. And thanks all of you guys for joining in this fascinating conversation. I know you're going to go back through all your your music, your iTunes and start listening to some Beatles. I definitely am kind of listening with a new ear to what we've been talking about today. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us on the journey. If you want to find me, you can. My website is lisacampion.com. Stop by and visit me. I work with psychics, healers, and empaths to help them fully step into their gifts since I think the world needs all the healers it can get. And we're so glad to be doing that here on the Miracle of Healing where we are healing the planet one person at a time right here on mindbodyspirit.fm. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.